Amen, amen. Um, today, I wanna, I, I'm going to do something a little different. Um, of course, we veered for the last few weeks away from um, the John series, and uh, Pastor Deuce, he's going he's to be back. I'm teaching Pastor. He's going to come back um, next week. He couldn't make it. I was so angry. We did a conference in Atlanta um, called Impact, which I'm a product of. He's a product of. My wife is a product of. A lot of us are a product of that movement, and ministry-wise, after Epiphany is Impact for me. Um, I, love, I love it to death, and so he's down there. He's ministering tonight. So keep him and cross movement and all our brothers and sisters in Christ because some of our core team is there um, acting like they're ministering, but they're running around Atlanta, um, going to underground shop, grabbing bags. Tell me, how past the E? I'm like, yeah, you better get back to church for Sunday. We'll be back Tuesday. I said, okay, I guess y'all can be off Sunday. Um, oh, I didn't even hear it. Um, I'll be good on time today. Don't laugh at me, y'all. I know y'all always get on me about my time. Um, <laughs> um, and so I'm excited about that ministry. Um, one of the things that, is, that, that I want us to think about today as we get into our time in the Word of God is, is I want us, we're going to do something different at the end. I want us to spiritually evaluate our year. And I'm going to give you some measurable things out of the Bible to begin to measure your year after. I want you to really begin to think about um, what your year was like and what areas of your life um, you need to amp up to go to the next level um, in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and centering your life around the right stuff. We always talk about around here um, religious affections. When we talk about religious affections, we're talking about having a heart that's married to the heart of God. Real simple, having a heart that's married to the heart of God. In other words, you're willing to submit your passions, you're willing to submit your values, and you, you, you're willing to submit every area of your life to God speaking into that area of your life, but not only speaking into it, but tweaking it and or replacing it and changing it in order that it can reflect um, him a whole lot more. So a familiar passage we've gone through before, but this is, this is the passage that I kind of use. Um, I've used it for about 10 years to kind of look at my life, and I use it to look at my life to, to begin to say, what are some things that need to be tweaked um, in my life as it relates to not just a legalistic list, but the Bible gives it as a list so it's not legalistic. Um, and so we want to, dang, my Bible falling apart. Um, I'll just put it right here. Uh, but I want us to dive into 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to read it. Uh, I'm going to do a little background and stuff. But I really want us to focus on evaluating today, evaluation and application um, today as we dive in. Second Peter chapter 1, I want to read it, and then we'll just walk through it line by line like we usually do. If you're there, say Amen. If you're not there, uh, uh, say, wait a minute. Okay, I'll give you one more second. Okay, 10, 9. Okay, y'all there? Okay. Uh, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God our Savior and Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted or short-sighted, having forgotten his former purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. You will never stumble. As, we, as you evaluate your life today, as you um, go through your life and begin to comb through different areas of your life, the first thing you're going to have to do, if you're going to do a great and a clean, a spiritual evaluation of this year, um, you must draw off the blessings of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You must draw off of the blessings of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody do something with this thing for me. If it beat one more time on my screen. Um, um, draw off your blessings. So in verse 1, Peter does something, something beautiful. Peter, um, it says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. When, when wording in the New Testament, especially in an epistle, is, is never by accident. It's always by specific purpose, and it's always by specific design. Um, before he calls himself an apostle, he calls himself a servant. And I believe he learned something. Um, one day the apostles were walking behind Jesus, and they just did some banging ministry. There's some dope ministry, and they was like, man, I'm telling you, I'm the beastiest. He's like, I'm telling you, man, nah, you ain't the beastiest. I'm the beastiest. When Jesus Christ get on the throne, man, I think he going to let me put on his hat and let me sit up on the throne. And so Cass was arguing, and Jesus eavesdropped their conversation. He turned around, he's like, he's like, Yo, man, what, y'all are crazy, man. He says, look, the greatest among you will become a servant. And Peter, he's, he's an old cat. He's planted a lot of churches. He's um, the first among equals or the lead pastor of the Jerusalem council, the Jerusalem church. And he comes in, before he calls himself an apostle, he calls himself a servant. And I think that's one of the things that, that, that as you begin to evaluate yourself and as you begin to grow in Christ, you don't merely call yourself by your giftings and what you're able to do in the kingdom, but you call yourself by that which influences how you impact and infect the kingdom. And so he called himself a servant before he called himself an apostle. And he gives this as a precursor of what it's like to be made over, what it's like to have humility, and what it's like to experience the nutrition of the Lord Jesus Christ being poured into your soul. He goes further and he says, and and to those who have received a faith as the same type as ours. He knows that people, there are a lot of preachers out there, he knows that there's a lot of false apostles out there that are always giving other types of lists that say this is what a Christian is like or this is what you're supposed to do. He says, but I'm not talking to y'all. I'm talking to the cats that have the eteros didascaline, the sound teaching, the body of truth that makes Christianity Christianity. In other words, the healthy stuff, the nutri- people that like Christology and don't go to sleep on it. He said, that's who I'm talking to. He says, the people that like reading the scriptures. He said, the people that like when prayer's going on, they're not falling asleep or whistling up and whistling Dixie and thinking about what they're going to eat uh, uh, for lunch today. He says, I like, th-. he said, I'm talking to the people that love talking about doctrine. He says, but I also love people that like to love on other people. He says, I like, he said, I'm talking to the people that are Christians for real, for real. He said, that's who I'm talking to. He said, I'm not talking to the phonies. I'm not talking to the fakes. I'm not just talking to church attenders. I'm not talking to shouters who shout alone and have no life. He says, I'm not talking to people that just cry when the music's a certain way, but then after the music stops, they're acting a fool. He says, I'm not talking to you. He says, I'm talking to the person that has the faith the same kind as mine. So that's who I want to talk to. He says, because if you have the faith the same kind of as mine, then you have the heart, the idea, and the mindset based on God rebirthing you to properly evaluate your life. And so he goes further in the text and he goes down and he says, grace and peace. I love these words. I, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but these are beautiful, beautiful, beautiful words. Charis and Irene. Charis and Irene, beautiful words, goes back to the Hebrew idiomatic expression where they talked about uh, chesed and shalom. He, he speaks the word of saying, may God's favor be upon you and may he make you comprehensively whole. 
So he, he, he prays a blessing with grace, charis, chesed. It's an untranslatable word. The Bible usually in the Psalms are translated loving kindness. It had to, I mean, they made up words in the Bible because some of the words are so rich, they had to make them like compound words. It's usually two words, like loving kindness is like three or four different words made into one to express it. But that word expresses uh, the untranslatable passion that God has for his covenant people to be like him. And not only that, his love for them. But then Shalom also points, as we talk about, that's another one of our buzzwords here at Epiphany, where it talks about comprehensive wholeness. Say comprehensive wholeness. Oh, we're going to keep saying it till you get it. We're going to keep saying it till we see signs of redemption. Uh, so, so, so grace and peace. You still with me? And so he, he's, he's, all, all of this is just a precursor to, to the believer getting their mind right to be able to properly um, 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 identify and properly come into the mindset of evaluating their lives spiritually. Because that's what he wants to do in this passage. And so he goes on and now he dives into it. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. What I like about being a Christian is when you trust Jesus Christ, I'm not going to even give the points today. I'm going to just go line by line. Is that okay? Okay. He, um, he, he, says, he says in this passage, he says, God, when you, when you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, Jesus Christ implanted in you everything that you needed. Now, now let me let me let me let, let's 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 think about that for a second, because I'm always running across people who are wanting more of God. I like the song. I'm, I'm not gonna blast it, but I like the song. I need more, more, more. I need more of you. That's a good song, and I understand the concept. But biblically, you ain't getting no more. Because the Bible said you have everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. Somebody say, God, give me more faith. You have everything pertaining to life and God. Give me more self You have everything pertaining. Give me more. You have everything. The issue with the Christian is not that you don't have everything. You don't activate everything. And so what the Christian has to do, what we have to do, oh, I feel good about this, is the Christian, the Christian, we have to, we have to begin to unpack the beauty of being a Christian. What's, what I like about being in Jesus that's, that's different than any other religion on the planet is every other religion is trying to get something. The Buddhist is trying to get more close to their inner self. The Muslim is trying to make sure that their good outweighs their bad. The humanists or the other, you know, the people that believe in karma and all that type of stuff, they want to make sure that they've done enough good so that they come back the right thing. But what's beautiful about being a Christian is even as jacked up, can we turn those heaters off? I'm about to catch a fire. Uh, spontaneous human combustion up here. It's hot. Um, what's beautiful about being a Christian, what's beautiful about being a Christian is, is, is the Christian, we, God implanted in us in Jesus everything that we need. But now sanctification is the process by, the, uh, the, by which God utilizes the reality of us having all we need at salvation becoming practiced and fleshed out. Now, Paul says in Philippians chapter um, um, he says in chapter 3, verses about 11 through the end of the chapter, about verse 14, he says, not that I have attained to it yet. But he says, but I press towards the mark or the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. And listen, I like the way he says. He says, and I want to attain to that which was attained for me by Christ. Oh, that's a dope statement. Let me tell you why that's a dope statement. Because he know. He knows that Christ has already attained to the standard. But he says, I'm not just taking my P's and Q's from just any old body as it relates to fleshing this thing out. But what I want to do is I want to press in such a way that I attain to the perfection that Jesus Christ has. Now, we're not Wesleyan perfectionists in here. In other words, Wesley's theology was that Christians could be perfect in this life. I don't believe that. 
I believe that Christ will present us. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding gladness and joy. The last verse in, 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 in Jude talks about the fact that Christ presents us faultless. So, but we, that, that, but I don't want you to say, when people talk about, you know, we ain't, you know, I ain't perfect. Don't be, try to use that for to back up off sanctification. You know, that's another, that's a bad buzzword. I ain't perfect. Like, we know that. We already knew that when you walked in the room. We already knew that, all right? But, but, but we as Christians, I don't want us to focus on our depravity. Because many times focusing on our depravity, so the Bible never says focus on your depravity. Keep your mind on things above. So what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to class born and grow in our picture of Jesus Christ and our passion for Jesus Christ so we can practice Jesus Christ. So he says, seeing that his divine power, now listen to this, dang, I didn't want to spend much time on that part, but um, divine power, I got to unpack that. Okay, divine power is supernatural power. Now, in the Bible, God's power is capsulized in a G word. See, omniscience um, means that God is all powerful, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm omnipotent. Thank you, bro. Thank you, bro. Omnipotent, right? Since God is all-powerful, omnipotent, he says, seeing that his divine power, God has all power. Galatians, I mean, uh, uh, Romans chapter 1 says, verse 16 says what? The gospel is the what? Hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop right there. The gospel is the what? So if the gospel is the power of God, the gospel is the omnipotence of God empowering our lives. So it says seeing that his omnipotence through the gospel, through the gospel. See, a lot of people want to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. But the gospel, the death The burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's express divine power to empower the Christian to do for us what we can't do on our own. But this says, has granted to us everything pertaining to life, that's eternal life, which for the Christian, eternal life, dang, I didn't want to spend this much time on this section, but um, eternal life, when when you trust Jesus as Savior, Eternal life starts when you trust him. It doesn't start when you die. So he says, you're already going to live eternally. So physically you die, but spiritually you never die again. You only die once, maybe. But then he, somebody missed that. Then it says, pertaining to life and godliness. And we're going, I don't want to unpack godliness yet because it's one of the things we got to measure ourselves by. Now, I like this. He says, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. I love this verse. This is my favorite. This, I know I always say this is my favorite verse. But this is my, this is my, this is, okay, I got 10 of them. This is another one of my favorite verses in the Bible, okay. Um, epinosis, say epinosis. The word there is true knowledge is the word that gnosko is the word for knowledge. But here he attaches a, 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 a prefix, epi, which makes the word have a more potent ingredient to knowledge. The word can be translated relational knowledge. It's not just knowledge that you pack up in your mind, but it's knowledge based on a relationship. So he says, the way God gave you everything pertaining to life and godliness was through a relationship. Oh, that's banging, y'all. No other God, no other God, no other religion ever proclaimed that their God would, if it is a God in it, would have a relationship with them. And that even in the midst of that relationship, that he's actually going to impart anything to you, but he kind of still stands outside of you and allow you to work on your own. But it's beautiful that not only that he starts the relationship, he sovereignly sparks the relationship, he empowers us in the relationship, but he also wants to actually have a relationship. See, I want you to think about spiritual growth as a relationship. See, a lot of us think of God as this taskmaster with a big old eternal whip, a canonine whip, where he's cracking your back to grow spiritually. 
Don't think of God like that. That's, the Bible teaches that growing spiritually is a part of the beauty of being in an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So approach your growth as a relationship, not as a frustration. When, next time you get, next time the Holy Spirit grieves you because he's grieved because of something you did, don't get depressed. Because because many of us take God's discipline the wrong way. And we sink in the places they that's see the discipline of the Lord is just to confront you by relation. See, if you really love somebody, you're gonna holler at them about it. See, if somebody don't love you, they're just going to let you wander about and be a fool some more. But what I like about God that's different is our God is so different that he wants to holler at you about it. And the way he hollers at you about it is he puts the spirit of God inside of you and allows the emotions and the feelings of the Holy Spirit to be transferred on you. So you can't feel all of how the Holy Spirit is feeling or we'll bust up and die. Because he's God, omnipotent, omnipresent, all that. So he just let us feel a smidget of how he's feeling about how jacked up we're acting sometimes. And what he's just doing, what all, all the Holy Spirit is just doing, it says, stop it. And what's good about, see, the enemy, the devil will come in. And I don't want to exalt the devil. You know, people always talk about the devil. But the devil is real, so we got to talk about him. And the Bible talks about him. What he will do is he will try to... Turn the grief into depression. He'll try to remind you of things that the Holy Spirit wants you to repent of. He'll try to let it stay in your mind. He'll let it marinate in your mind, and then you'll begin to draw away from God. Because know what that is? That's pride. Because the, the, the Holy Spirit comes to get us focused on Jesus. The devil comes to get us focused on ourselves. See, if you continue to focus on how jacked up you are, you're never going to change. But in your jacked upness, if you focus on the one who gave you everything pertaining to life and godliness, somebody going to hear me in a minute, then your life will change. It'll change, it'll change, it'll change, it'll change. I got to move. I'm spending too much time in these verses. But I like the end of this verse. I like the end of this verse. Y'all still with me? We're just having a conversation. This This is the part I like. It says... Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Uh, I'm going to just spend time on glory. I'm not going to spend that much time on excellence because we got to get to the list. But, 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 but the, oh, man. Time, time, time. Okay. Lord Jesus, thank you. Glory and excellence. What, what, what God did, Jesus Christ. Now, notice the Bible says he called us by his own glory and excellence. See, a lot of people think that God called us into a relationship with him because of us. But this verse says he called us in response to his glory. Don't miss this. <laughs> this is why. This, this thing throws me ballistic here. He, he calls us in response to loving being showed off. See, God's glory is him showing off himself in his nature. Justice, grace, wrath, holiness, and glory intensifies our ability to see the beauty of it. That's why every time in the Old Testament when you saw the glory of God, it was, it was light, it was, or it was a cloud. It was the presence, it was to show people that the presence of God was there. Jesus Christ in eternity past was kicking it with himself. He was enjoying himself because he's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anybody else. So he said, he just looked at, he looked at himself. He said, man, I am, I, I mean, he talked to the Father. He said, look at us, Father. Holy Spirit, come here. We fine, ain't we? They looked at themselves. They said, we pretty fine. I mean, we share in our nature together, but we three persons. Man, we some good-looking cats. Glory. So they were enjoying their glory. And they said, you know what? 
Why don't we do this? Why don't we make some people who aren't us, they can never be us, but we'll make them way lesser than these beings we've created. And we want to show these beings that we created what it looks like to not have as much as they have, have less than they have, and when you trust in us three, it shows us off. So God called us in response to himself. In other words, because the Bible says in 1 Peter the, uh, chapter 1, the last verse, that the angels are watching us. It says that when the prophets were prophesying, the angels was like, man, these are some crazy commercials. I can't wait to see when Jesus saves some folks so I can see this thing happen. I mean, man, beautiful stuff. So the angels are watching. When you grow spiritually and you reflect the glory of God, this was stuff talked about before you ever were thought of. So he called us in response to himself. I got to move. All right. We're past that verse. Okay. Verse 4. He says, for by these things, that is, his glory and excellence, He's granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that purpose clause that by them we may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, let's chop that up. Partakers there is the Greek word koinonia. Say koinonia. One of our buzzwords here is community. Koinonia, that's where we get it from. Koinonia can be translated several ways. It can be translated as partakers. It can be um, translated as sharers. Or it can be um, 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 translated as community. And right here he says, by his promises, he has caused us um, um, to, to, to be partakers of the divine nature. Now, the divine nature is God, the things that make God, God. Okay? Okay, now, we don't share in being God because we can't be God. We can't be omniscient. We can't handle it. Because, think about it. Omnipotent. Y'all seen Bruce Almighty. Um, <laughs> omnipresent. Imagine you as omnipresent. Man, fellas, we, be up, we just messed up the whole God thing, man. Some of y'all going to miss that. Um, so he's, we can't share in his divine nature. We become partakers. In other words, God has invited us into community with the Trinity. That's all it means. So what he does is when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he invites us not to be the part of the Trinity, like the fourth person of the Trinity, but what he invites us into is what they have been enjoying by themselves in eternity past. And so he says these are the beauties of why you should be evaluating your life. First reason why you should evaluate your life, of course, is because God has given you everything you need. Second reason is because it's a relationship. Third reason is because it was planned before the foundations of the world. And now we come to the last part of this, passage, of this section. It says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So now he talks about now that, now that, now that you know these things, because you've got to know theology before you can know practice or you're a moralist. Or you're a humanist. Practice without theology, you're no different than the person that's an activist that want to just help people as a philanthropist. So that's why here at Epiphany, we go through theology before we talk to you about practice. Because if you don't get good theology, then you'll have faulty practices. Okay? So now we've, we've gone through some of the theology, but however, the Bible teaches that practice is theology also. Somebody will get that later. But then it goes down and it says, now... He says, he says, for this very reason, also applying all diligence. Some of us need to amp up our diligence. <laughs> Amen, lights and walls. Yeah, I, I, I got some areas too, so I'm not up here fronting. I'm just because I'm a preacher or something. All of us have areas of life that we take our foot off the gas in. <laughs> All of us have those areas of life, and what, what, one of the things that we have to do is before he prefaces everything that he says on faith in Jesus, but then he says, now this is your part. By applying faith in Jesus is by putting your foot on the gas. Diligence is the word gymnasio, where we get our word gymnasium from, to work out. He said, work it out, y'all. Diligence. He says, applying some diligence. That's what he said, isn't it? Applying a little bit of diligence. Oh, all diligence. So applying all diligence. In other words, this shouldn't be an area of our life 
that we're not diligent in. Dang. That's crazy, ain't it? Because I got so, I'm just, dang, I'm getting cut up. There's some blood right there. He said, applying all diligence. He's prefacing this section with it. We're going to go through it. He says, applying all diligence in your faith. He says, in your faith, applying diligence, putting your foot to the gas, getting in the spiritual gym. Y'all with me? He says, in your faith, supply. The word, I like stopping on these words, but the word supply is a word that means furnish. Furnish. In your faith, furnish. In other words, you got to furnish your faith with some things. Let me, let me see if I can make it plain. Say we get this building. What would this building be if we had nothing in it and say we got the building? And we just come in and don't do anything to the building. Um, the rooms never change, so we don't know what this room is for. We go downstairs, we don't know what that room is for. The bathroom don't have anything in it. There's no wiring, no anything in it, no toilets or anything. So we don't even know that that's a bathroom. He says, in your faith, I want you to supply your faith with some things that houses it or furnishes it with some things that identifies specific things that you're applying your faith to. Because a lot of people will say that they have faith, but they don't say what they have in faith for. So what he, I'm just keeping the faith. No, he's not saying keeping the faith. He's saying furnish your faith with some stuff that looks like you're willing to apply some stuff. And so he goes through and he says, in your faith supply moral excellence. Say moral excellence. Yeah, moral excellence. Moral excellence, some, the old King James says virtue. Um, um, this, this is an interesting word. The, the word for moral excellence is a, is a word that means um, a commitment to a standard. He says the first area of your life that you're going to have to make furniture of your faith are your standards. He said your standards are going to have to increase. He says so many Christians got low standards. He says so before I really go through the rest of this, you got to amp up your expectations. Now, he's not just talking about throwing you into an emotional frenzy, just expecting whatever. Because he's going to explain that. But what Christ gives us is the ability to have standards. See, if, but he's not just talking about the standard itself. He's talking about a, a, a vigorous commitment to that which is the standard, which he'll talk about in a second. And so what we're going to have to do as Christians is we're going to have to begin committing ourselves to specific standards. Our singles, our singles, let me tell you something. You got to have some standards. Um, I shouldn't have to check out too much the person you want to marry because you should have already checked them out enough because you got standards. In your finances. You got to have some standards. In your workplace. You got to have some standards. And what I'm saying is commitment to a standard. And how we raise children. We have to be committed to a standard. And, and so he's talking about the commitment to it. So that's the first thing I want you to evaluate. And when we get to the end, I, I'm, we're going to do some stuff with these, with these little things that I'm talking about. But then he goes from this, and he says, in your moral excellence and in your commitment to a standard, he goes and he says, knowledge. Oh, man. See, a lot of people got standards, but not all of them are biblical standards. See, I had standards for what type of woman I liked. See, I had, but they weren't biblical standards. They were pornographic standards. See, many of us got a lot of, we won't admit that we got standards. Some of us will admit that we have standards, but we won't admit that those standards aren't biblical standards. And many of us have 
biblical standards in our mind, but we don't have biblical standards in our affections. In other words, we're not actually married to doing anything about what we heard. And so what he's saying is, is you can't, if you're going to have moral excellence, he said unbelievers got moral excellence. But he says the thing that makes our moral excellence different than the unbelievers' moral excellence is knowledge, the scriptures. And so what we got to begin doing is combing through our standards. And some of us have become so married to unbiblical standards that we don't even know that we apply unbiblical standards. So I want you to pray that the spirit of the living God would show you blind standards and applied standards that you have in your life. And that you would allow him by his grace to show them to you and uproot them and replant in them proper standards. But then he says, you can't just have a commitment to a standard. you got to have the information of the standard. But from there he says, and you also apply in that self-control. Say self-control. Self-control, in a nutshell, means passions under control. Passions under control. That's one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Self-control points to our ability to have passions. See, but he wants us to, because everybody got passions. But self-control is like a cage. In other words, your passion is like a hungry cat running around in a cage and it sees prey everywhere. But what what, what self-control does is it puts a leash around the neck of your passions. And what it does is say, okay now, when I let you out, don't start tripping. Because I, I got a leash around your behind. And when you open the gate, the, the, you know, Sam's going, <laughs> and, and going on, he said, come here. Yank the neck, and the neck go like this. That's what, you're, you, that's what self-control is. Self-control is controlling the direction that your passions go. But listen, your passions have to be theocentric passions. That's just a word that means God-centered. Amen. And so what happens is the more theocentric your passions get, the more room you can give it on a leash. But some of us, this is the way it looks for us. You know, you ever seen somebody with a dog, you know, like, they, I, I used to hate when I was growing up, you know, because in our neighborhood, man, this dude had, one dude had a Great Dane, one dude over here had, had a rock wild, a mixed with a pit, one dude got a, and man, I'm, I'm trying to go to school, so every day I would go to school, I was in elementary school, and you know, people in the hood don't chain no dogs up. You know, dog just on the porch, row, row, <laughs> wait for somebody to come past out. And I'm sitting up, I'm going to school, I'm looking around, man. You know, I had about 10 ways to get to school. The school is on the corner, but, man, you, got, you had to run from King. Um, you had to, this is the name of the dogs, uh, Boo Boo and Junebug. I had to run from all of these dogs. Some people got their dogs just running all over the place. No leashes on them. That's how some of our passions are. We let our passions just, no leash, just running around, barking at anything it wants to bark, biting anything it wants to bark, and, and, and reproducing whatever. With it. So we got we to gotta cage these passions. And you know, I ain't got to tell you. You know the areas you out of control in. Like I got eating issues. My wife always getting on me. You know, sometimes when I don't eat all my meals, I eat like one meal. Then at 12.30, I get hungry. Then I, 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 I see cake and, 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 oh, man, I see ice cream in the fridge. And I like to sit in front of the TV and veg out at night, like late, because I, I don't have time to watch TV. So I'll sit there and eat them honey barbecue chips, some Uts, and I'll have me some fruit punch and some Kool-Aid. Oh, hallelujah, praise God. I have all these different things. And little did I do, do, do I know is I, I'm wondering why these handles start coming out on the side of me. And 
I'm like, Dag, I can lean on this, John. What's up, man? You know, I mean, I got all this stuff going on. I mean, self-control. We got to speak to these areas. We got to speak to these areas um, because a lack of self-control points to deep spiritual issues. Dag, I didn't mean to spend time on self-control like that. But we really need to work through our control as Christians and our appetites. Let's move on. So commitment to a standard, not only just commitment to a standard, but knowledge of that standard, then self-control and applying the standard. But then he goes there and says, in your self-control, have some perseverance. Dang, I like the way he lines these joints up. Perseverance, perseverance, perseverance. I, I, I like the way um, my man lines these joints up. Perseverance, I wrote down a definition that I want to make sure, I, here it is. Perseverance is consistency in the midst of adversity. Consistency in the midst of adversity. Some of us, when we go through hard times, everything just falls apart. We don't pray. We spend no time in the Word no more. And then we bitter with God and frustrated with God and want Him to do something, and we won't move forth in diligence. Perseverance. Perseverance. We, we as Christians, we were built to persevere. First Peter chapter 4 says that we were called to suffer. We were appointed to be put in situations where we had to show consistency in the midst of adversity. And God sends adversity with your name on it, with your name on it, divinely assigned, spiritually appointed. It ain't always the devil. Sometimes God is your problem, not the devil. And sometimes, hallelujah, he sends it your way to see how consistent you're going to be. Because it's easy to, to, you know, to run through the fields and hit the flowers as we walk past when everything's going good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but, but when things aren't going that well, can you have that same attitude? See, God gave you the grace. You don't know who you are in Christ. Let me tell you something. You got joy inside of you. And when he gave you joy inside of you in the midst of it, let me tell you something. You can get an eternal swagger in Christ on this thing. When you go through something difficult, God has given you something called joy. Joy gives you the ability to not let what you go through affect you negatively. You ought to still be praising God in the midst of your adversity. Your hands should still go up, even though it's hurting, even though tears are in your eyes. You should be able to talk to God. Oh, somebody going to talk to me in a minute. Because, listen, God has built you in Jesus. Not just, this ain't me just bigging you up. I'm bigging up the God who builds you up. Yeah, see, he's built you for this. God never sends anybody anywhere. God never puts anybody in a situation that's his that he doesn't prepare them to deal with. Yeah, this, these are the nutritional elements that makes Christianity Christianity, that makes you, you, but all from the body and blood of Jesus. <laughs> see, the blood was spilled to change our DNA code. And one of the aspects of our DNA code is perseverance. Perseverance. But not only perseverance, he said, and in your perseverance, godliness. Godliness just points to just character. 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 Character is the, 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 um, the way in which we look, the way in which we reflect and apply the new nature. That's character. In other words, godliness is all of that in a nutshell. <laughs> That's what godliness is. When you say somebody is godly, it's because they have self-control. Man, you're godly. Man, when something comes up and it's an adverse mindset to Christ, you, you bring up a scripture... And not just throwing out scripture, but really bring it up with the heart of God in mind, his standards in mind. That person's godly. Godly is the thing that you're called when you're applying truth. If you're not applying truth, you don't have character. You positionally have character, but practically you don't. And so he goes on. And so in our godliness, brotherly kindness. Now, I like this. Because what he does is he talks about what it looks like to spiritually evaluate you 
inside of you as in relation to your character and the application of truth. But then he goes and he says, you should be diligently chopping it up with the saints. Brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is the word Philadelphia. Brotherly kindness or brotherly love. And so what we're supposed to, if you're really, really being impacted by the gospel, you should be in relationship with others who are too. Many, many of us are loners. And epiphany, if you're going to be at epiphany, this is not the place to be a loner. Because as we grow, we want to call you to the carpet, and we want you to call us to the carpet too. But see, we want people calling us to the carpet that has standards, has a commitment to standards, they got self-control, they got perseverance, making them godly. See, we don't just want people coming into the community talking what they want to talk, just you know, people just saying stuff. But brotherly kindness. He says one of the things, when you know you're really being impacted by Jesus Christ in your own life, others are being impacted by your life. Brotherly kindness. But then he goes from the inside out, but then he goes from there to missions. He says, and in your brotherly kindness, love. And so he uses love, agape, by itself to point to just a general love for everybody. So he says, when you're impacted by Christ impacting you, you impact others in the community of faith, but in that community of faith who hold these same things and lives out these same things impacts the world. Beautiful picture. And so, and so, and so these are the things, I'm going to come back to these in a minute, but I'm going to, I want to show you what Peter does. Peter gives a warning, and I always like when the apostles give a warning um, so that you can, all of us can be spurred to apply some stuff. He goes down and he says, he says, for if these qualities, the one we just said, are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful of the true knowledge, epinosis, there it is again, of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgot his former uh, purification of his former sins. He says, if you don't grow spiritually, you'll forget that you're saved. You'll doubt your salvation. You'll, every time somebody do an altar call, <laughs> you at the altar, and, 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 you don't, and nothing happens after that. Then the next week you're at the altar. Well, I, used to, I did youth ministry for 10 years, man. I seen it all, man. You, I mean, people did not, I mean, I was one of those guys in college. You know, I was always getting convicted by the Holy Spirit but didn't do anything about the conviction. So he says, he says what will happen is you'll get blind and short-sighted. Um, how many of y'all wear, wear glasses nearsighted? What does nearsighted mean? That's the word where we get nearsighted from right here. He says, people that are not growing spiritually can only see things close, but they can't see anything far. And if you're a Christian, God is always trying to show you stuff far and close. But he wants you in relation to what you see close to be able to see far. And that has to do with another F word. Faith. And if you're not walking in faith, you only attach to that which is nearest to you. That means you live a safe life. And see, Christians, we weren't ever called to live safe lives. We're called to take risk. But when you have a sure assurance in God, it ain't really a risk at all. You just wait for him to do what he said he was going to do. Faith. But see, if you're not growing spiritually, you're scared to step out. See, some of y'all, God is calling you to do some stuff, and you're scared to death. But because you hadn't been growing spiritually, you haven't been able to do it yet. I'm tired of people coming to me about their dreams and their vision, and they don't step out on no faith. I got a vision to do this. I got to, and you don't take no risk. I'm just waiting for this. It ain't going to happen, fam. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And, and he who believes, come to God, must believe that he is, and he's a reward of those who seek him. Fam, he ain't going to do jack. He says, so you're blind and short-sighted and forgot the nature of what makes salvation salvation. <laughs> but then he goes for and then he, also, he says, but if these qualities are yours and increasing, you won't be unfruitful. 
But you'll, under, you'll have the true knowledge of God. But then he says, therefore, brethren, he gives a warning. He said, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about your calling and choosing you. God says, if you're not growing spiritually, you might not be a Christian. The Bible never had in mind carnal Christianity. That's not even like a philosophy of the Bible. Like God didn't save us to be the same. And he said, if you're the same, you might need to check your calling and his choosing of you. How do you check it? By this list. Let's do it. Let's do it. I want you to go through right now. I want you to take out a pen, a piece of paper if you don't already have one out. And I want you to check his calling and choosing of you right now. This is going to be scary. And I'm going to do it with you. It's my pen. What you say? <laughs> um, I want us to, I want us to write down. I want us to go through. I want us to say, uh, you know, let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven qualities. I want you to just number one through seven. You don't have to write out the words. Hmm? Pens. Mom, do has a pen if you don't have one. <laughs> This is recorded, and I got all this stuff on the recording. I can see if Fish can edit it. Um, I want you to number from one to seven. And then I want you to start with number one. And this year, this year, in relation to committing yourself to standard, to a standard, mix number one and number two. Um, because both of those kind of work together. All of them work together, but these two are unique. Your commitment to standards, how much, from the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how committed overall this year have you been to biblical standards? That's a crazy question, ain't it? Yeah, from, from a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how committed this year have you been to God's biblical standards? Some of you might have to think about it for a second. Just think through the year. And this is not to beat us up. I, I want this to be a good thing, okay? I don't want this to be a bad thing. And what I want you to do also, I don't, I, I, this is just an overall grade, but this week, I want you to list some areas of your life and begin doing the same with it. I want you to, um, under number two, I want you to think through how much you have interfaced with God's standards through reading the scriptures from one to, from one to ten. One to ten. One to ten. All right. Um, self-control. How much self-control have you had this year from a scale of one to ten? I'm scared to answer this one. Dang. All right. Same thing with perseverance. How have you dealt with adversity this year? Did you grumble and complain, Philippians chapter 2, or did you embrace it and try to grow? Godliness. How would you evaluate your character from 1 to 10? Dang. You might need somebody else to do that. Sometimes you can't. I'm a 10. I know I walk with God. And you just failed a whole test. You said that mess. Um, next one. How well have you interacted with the Christian community? Ooh. In relation to these things. These things. Not just getting together. I ain't talking about that. Going to get some ice cream and Batucci's and running downtown. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about Christian interaction. 
even though that's a part of it. But when you were there, did stuff come up about Jesus? You know, because I know you I was with the believers for 52 hours this week. Doing what? Okay. In love, how much have you engaged unbelievers with the community of faith? Because that's the context of the passage from a scale of 1 to 10. And then do an individual joint beside it. But in the context of the passage, how much have you engaged unbelievers this year from a scale of 1 to 10? This year. Now, out of 70 being the best, I want you to tally that up. Just each one, just go through each one. And 70 being the best, tally up your score, and that's your score this year. Number three, yeah, self control. It was more excellence, knowledge, self control. Perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. <clears throat> Tally it up. You don't have to say it. You don't have to say it because I know some of y'all are like, dang. Um, but I do want you to share it with someone. I want you to share it with someone, either today or this week. And what I want you to do is I want you to think about that score and shoot for a 70 this year. Shoot, the, shoot for the points to go up. Shoot for the points to get better. Because no, notice that he says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you're not unfruitful. And you're growing in the true knowledge of him. But notice what verse 11 says, and then we're going to close. He says, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied. What that means is that doesn't mean that God shows preference to people who get in heaven. That's not what he's saying. But he says the enjoyment of heaven will be more intensified by those who grow spiritually than those who are spiritually stagnant. In other words, you won't just graduate. See, look, when I graduated from college and I saw, I saw all of the people getting all these awards and, Man, they were killing it. You know, award for this. People got their little shows on. And I was like, dang. You know, I just had on my black joint. It was plain and carrying on. People got like three and four joints around their necks. And I'm like, dang, they were killing it. And all of us graduated together. But then some people's graduation was just a little bit more enjoyable than mine. Um, and they graduated with honors. And it was dope. So there's two ways to enter the kingdom. You can just enter the kingdom, or you can enter in honors. When you're applying truth to your life and you're continuously growing, you can graduate with honors. How many want to graduate with honors? Let me pray, and we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. If, if you're here today, and, man, none of this stuff made sense to you because you didn't know Jesus, um, Christ... Um, came so that when we were talking early in the message, we were talking about the fact that Christ wanted to cop a group of people who could show him off. But the issue is, all of us are born, born showing ourselves off, showing off the enemy's kingdom. So we're jacked up, tore up from the floor. And so what God does is he sent Jesus Christ to be what we can never be, live the life we can never live, die the death we can never die, be the perfect sacrifice. Because God accepts, you got utilizes sacrifices as a way to come into relationship with him. And Christ was the perfect sacrifice. And so what happens is you deserve to die. We all deserve to die. But instead of us dying, Jesus died in our place and he was raised from the dead as a sign of the fact that God accepted the sacrifice. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your replacement, we want you to fill out a card, and we want to get with you today. want to get with you today. Um, Kurt is in here. We, we had him. Ra raise your hand real quick, Kurt. If you, trust, if you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you, and we want to get with you.
If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm going to do something different. Slip your hand in the air. You, wanna, you just trusted him. You trusted what I just said. Slip your hand in the air so that we can chop it up with you. Every head bow, every eye closed. We're not going to tarry, but we do want to connect with you. All right, Lord, we thank you for your standard. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the standard. And we thank you that he has attained to that standard for us. Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus that um, today, and, and we don't just go into another year of promise making. Lord God, but we would just reflect a life that's continuously repenting of sin and growing spiritually. Um, and so we pray in Christ's name that we would seek to continue to grow in our fruitfulness rather than being fruitless. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for buying us. Thank you for calling us into re relationship with you. So, Lord God, be in the midst of our communion today as we celebrate the Lord's death, the last Sunday of the year, that we celebrate the beauty of the cross. It was ugly to many, but to some who trust and know what it was really about, it's beautiful. Help us to celebrate it for your name's sake. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. In, a, in our time of communion, we do it every Sunday. It's a very sacred time, but it's a sacred time that's only for those who know Jesus, who know Jesus. Only those who know Jesus and, and are committed to Jesus Christ. Um, and so if, if, you're, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you haven't trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, um, we, we would just ask that out of respect for something that's in our world of Christians. I mean, you're invited to still stay here. But in, in this part, we just ask that you kind of let this be a little sacred for us because, because God kind of issued it for a specific group of people who are committed to a specific group of principles. Amen? Amen. Amen. May our men come. <laughs>